podcast with your host, Jake Weaver, engineered by Cedric Swan. Hey, everybody, we're back with another episode of Midnight on Earth. I'm your host, Jake Weaver, and we're here to bring you more knowledge, more lights, and more love. We have another incredible guest. They're all incredible. And here's yet another one. Tyler Zaradnik of the Contact Tour Group. They're the next generation of ufologists. They're UFO hunters. They're out there in the field. And they're the next generation of so many things. And we're going to talk to Tyler in just a minute. But first, I need you to do something for me. Go to bluecobracbd.com. There you will find Blue Cobra CBD, the highest quality CBD oil product in the market. Howard Hitt, also known as Big H, a person I know personally, created a proprietary extraction method for CBD from hemp. It's called the Hit Extraction Method. And here's the best part. No solvents, okay? No gases, no chemicals. It was developed by Howard and no other company uses this method. It's a natural process resulting in the purest CBD oil. And it is extracted and blended in small handcrafted batches of high testing CBD flour. 100% organic. It's organ grown. You can put it on your body, you can put it in your body, and it's available for everyone. Blue Cobra CBD, and let me tell you, we have a discount code, a Midnight on Earth Blue Cobra CBD discount code. And what does that give you? Free shipping on any order, any order. So here's the code, M-I-D-C-B-D. M-I-D, like midnight, M-I-D, C-B-D. You put that in the promo code section when you're checking out and you will get free shipping on any order. One bottle, two bottles, it doesn't matter. You get free shipping, you get to try it out. It's an incredible product. I, I highly recommend it. It gets my highest recommendation for a CBD oil product, for sure. BlueCobraCBD.com. And... Of course, it has a full money-back guarantee. If you don't like the product, you can get your money back, including shipping prices if you ever do have to pay them. But now if you use that discount code, follow me on Instagram at midnight underscore on underscore earth. That is the address. Please follow us there if you haven't already. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, for Ever you go to get your podcasts, please click the button that connects us so you get those notifications. You know when the episodes drop. And of course, the most important thing is word of mouth. Please tell a friend, share a link, text a link, whatever you can do to help spread the word about this podcast because it's not about me. It's about the guests and what they have to get out there midnightonearth.com 
All right, we talked about Blue Cobra CBD. I did my social media shout out. And now I want to talk to you about Contact Tour. This is from their mission statement. Contact Tour's modus operandi is to establish communications with extraterrestrial and non-human terrestrial intelligences utilizing prototype protocols developed by C-SETI the Center for the Study of Extraterrestrial Intelligence. These protocols include the following variables, sound, light, and thought or consciousness. In the UFO subculture, this methodology is referred to as CE5, Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind. Over the course of the last two years, our team has facilitated field expeditions researching human-initiated contact with ETI, extraterrestrial intelligence. Our direct experiences engaging in the phenomena have been profound. We're going to talk about that. During this time, we've collected a substantial archive of videographic and photographic materials which unequivocally solidify the notion we're being observed by extraterrestrials. These interstellar civilizations appear to have highly advanced technological capabilities, potentially hundreds of thousands to millions of years ahead of our current development. The implications of this subject are so vast that no aspect of life on earth will be unaffected by its official disclosure through government channels. We are acutely aware that this subject is highly controversial, ridiculed, and suffers from great social opprobrium within certain elite circles, and within the political landscape. The dire circumstances we're confronting as a global civilization are directly related to the secrecy of the extraterrestrial presence. Global warming, biosphere degradation, air pollution, energy security, exopolitics, a collapsing geoeconomic order, growing inequality between financial classes, overpopulation, and human sustainability on earth all of these tremendously crucial issues at hand would be alleviated with the disclosure of this information and one more thing from their website our organization wishes to emphasize the past dominance of militarism and paranoia is not underline not the framework for approaching this subject we're so happy to have tyler contact tour here with us today hello tyler Hey, Jake, how are you? Thanks for the, the wonderful intro. I'm, I'm happy to be here. <laughs> well, like I said, you guys are the next generation of UFO researchers, the next generation of people that are going to be out there helping people learn about this as the people that started this, I don't want to say industry, but this field are moving on. They're getting older. So, and the mission mm -hmm. continues. Yeah, the mission definitely continues and the torch or the baton, whatever other analogy you want to use is being handed off to my generation and the next generation to come. So when did your interest in UFOs and this type of phenomena begin? Back in 2013 in my hometown of Beechwood, New Jersey, I witnessed to my belief, something that was otherworldly. It was three illuminating, pulsating objects that were only 
100 to 200 meters above the tree line uh, in my hometown. And I was with two other friends at the time. And up to that point, I've never gave this subject matter any thought or any credence or any kind of credibility. And it was not really something that I ever gave any of my time to. But after that sighting I had, it completely changed my worldview and my paradigm instantaneously. So ever since that moment in my life, when I was 17 years old, it became a complete uh, and in some shape or form an obsession and a complete fascination. And uh, I felt a, a yearning and a calling to pursue this topic as far as I could possibly go. Wow. So you really thought it was just science fiction up until that point. Uh, you know, something you'd see in Star Wars or Star Trek or whatever. And then you actually had your first experience at 17. That's pretty mind blowing. Yeah, I wouldn't say necessarily that I thought it was something that was limited to fiction because I, I, I don't believe I'm a naive individual. <laughs> I, I, I just know with I guess my intuition and common sense that the universe is absolutely massive. Right. And it's, for, it's, it's infinite. It's forever expanding. And I saw the probability and the statistics of us being the only form of sentient, intelligent life to be a bit foolish. So I've always had it, I guess the, the ideology of us not being the only form of advanced life in the universe, but it's never anything that was at the forefront of my mind. It wasn't paramount <laughs> in my thinking until I had that experience. I realized that not only does that prove to me, in my opinion, that we're being visited by extraterrestrials, but obviously they're much more advanced than us if they're able to get here from wherever their origin point is. Right. So that, uh, yeah, that, that changed my entire reality. It, it actually, it actually shattered my entire way of looking at the world after that experience. And then shortly after I had that first sighting six months later by myself at three o'clock in the morning, driving down Parkway South in New Jersey in the Pine Barrens, I saw exactly the same sighting, Whoa. but this time, this time it was much closer. There were three pulsating, illuminating red orbs of light that would all vanish together they'd all reappear in different spots and come back together and just perform these these incredible maneuvers that i i couldn't to this day really uh compare to any other form of conventional aircraft that that i know of wow so did you like go home and just start like being like the town crier like oh my god i saw a ufo to your family to your friends how did that play out for you that initial experience I didn't tell anybody. Really? Why? I, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't share my experiences with with anybody. Well, a I was still trying to integrate it and process it for myself. Okay. So I didn't feel comfortable in sharing the experience, not not having an understanding of what it could have been first and foremost in, in my own mind. Okay. I didn't want to start. Uh, I didn't want to start sharing it with people until I had my own personal understanding of it. And that took years. That took a, that took a long time. I didn't share that setting with people until after I got out of the military. Did you think it would have potentially jeopardized your military career or caused some sort of static that you didn't want to deal with? And also 
you just didn't know what it was. Like you said, you, you, you yeah. kind of knew you had the open mind since, you know, the, mm-hmm. your entire life, but you still didn't really know what it was. And did you think maybe it could have been yeah. advanced military technology or did, did you somehow intuitively know that it was uh, otherworldly? Intuitively knowing is a good way of putting it. Although I do have really surface level experience going on and off military bases growing up because my dad was a civilian contractor at Lakehurst Naval Base, McGuire Air Force Base in Fort Dix. And periodically I'd go with him onto these installations for work or we would go shop at the commons, uh, the commissary, which is uh, an on post shopping center that has reduced taxes on common goods and things like that. So we would go on and off the base and I would see all of the, helicopters and the C-17s and the C-130s and the Apaches and the Blackhawks. And I would see all these military vehicles parked on the, on the runway at these hangars. So I I guess more or less, I was familiar with what military aircraft looked like. And plus where I grew up in ocean County, they were always running uh, exercises out of those installations. And I'd always see the, the military aircraft fly overhead. And I know that, uh, a key feature of any aircraft is the sound. There's a sonic right. signature. Right. And, the, and these objects that I saw were silent. They oh were completely silent. And I've never seen anything that bright in my life. Besides, besides maybe the sun. Wow. So it's like some sort of mechanism generating that light that is outside of any other technology you'd been exposed to, whether it was incandescent yeah. light or LED light. It was something else. Nothing. Nothing. And, and at the time I, I, I operated, I mean, this is a very uh, minute detail about myself, but I, I operated a mobile DJ company and I worked in nightclubs a lot and I worked with lighting equipment and I worked with uh, stage setups and all, all these different kinds of fixtures. I, I worked on, you know, Chevet uh, DMX lighting systems and okay. like, I, you know, I, I can recognize stage lighting and, and these kinds of things. Sure. And th- th- this was this was brighter than anything I've ever seen, but it was bizarre because it wasn't piercing to the eye. It didn't hurt to look at it. Uh, There didn't appear to be a structure associated with these lights. It seems as though the object itself was light and the way they were moving, the way they were moving I'm like, I guess my first instinct was maybe a military flare of some kind, but, but then I thought about it. How hazardous would that be? And what and who and what and why dropped three military flares less than 100 meters above a, su- a suburban neighborhood that's surrounded by trees? Like, like who in their right mind, unless it was a complete accident, I don't know who, who would possibly do that. And then they're going to be reprimanded to the teeth by their higher ups if, the, if, the, if, if word of this accident got out. So sure. I'm go- I'm going back to the moment of just some of the thoughts that were going through my mind, and I right, immediately right. ruled out flares. Immediately ruled out flares because flares don't travel, you know, horizontally across the skyline, equilateral distance apart in a triangle <laughs> formation, vanish and then reappear in separate parts of the sky and come back together. I've never seen a flare do that. And yeah. someone show me a flare that can do that. They're definitely not Chinese lanterns. They were not drones. They were not helicopters. They were not planes. It wasn't atmospheric. Uh, phenomenon. It was not some kind of aerial debris. It wasn't, there were not kites. It, it, it wasn't anything that I could explain. 
So you went down the mental checklist, but then your next experience uh, six months later really solidified that because there it was again. Absolutely. I mean, you could there have gone again. back. You could have second guessed it afterwards. Maybe you, you're checking the checklist again later, but then boom, six months later, there it is again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it was exactly the same <sighs> phenomenon that I witnessed the first time, like to a T, the exact same phenomenon. So then you arrange your friends together and you, you start pursuing these things. What was the genesis of contact or obviously this 2013 experience, then six months later was the genesis, but then what were the next steps? Well, contact tour didn't start till 2019. Right. So this was six years after I had my initial sighting. Well, after the second sighting I had, so of the, of the two initial ones, that's when it really became a, a fascination to me. And in my off time and in my, and in my, uh, in my research, and I would stay really private about it, I, I, be, I began building an archive and a database, like really looking into the subject. Even, even when I enlisted in the military, I still stayed really interested in it. And through my military experience, I just had really casual conversations with other NCOs, like non-commissioned officers that I'd serve with and just other commissioned officers, like first, second lieutenants, and maybe a captain here and there. And I just picked their brains and see if they had any kind of interest in it. And I was actually stationed at Fort Riley, Kansas and Fort Riley, apparently based on, uh, based on different testimonies that are out there and different pieces of documentation was one of the transport sites of when they, we're moving the crash retrievals from White Sands, New Mexico, Nellis Air Force Base, Area 51, up to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Ohio. Fort Riley, Kansas was, was the middle point uh, between transporting those materials. And uh, I, would just, I would just ask around just really casually and just act like I didn't give it any kind of thought to these different people who I was serving with. And more often than not, the conversations didn't lead anywhere, but there would be a few people that would entertain it and say that they thought it was legit and that the military had some kind of knowledge of an extraterrestrial presence here on Earth. And that's as far as those conversations went. And wow. I didn't have any kind of significant security clearance. I only had a secret security clearance. I think there's probably hundreds of thousands of people that have that level of security clearance. So I really wasn't deep into any kind of special access project or any kind of compartmentalized program on that base. I just had a curiosity during my service and that curiosity hasn't left me. And uh, that's, that's really what brought contact toward a fruition because I felt as though the, the military and the government has been deliberately and premeditatively not only covering up the existence of extraterrestrials, but they've been lying about it and they've been fabricating stories around it to mislead people and to pour disinformation out into the public. And they've also have silenced people to the extent of putting them in uh, insane asylums, uh, mental institutions. Right. I mean, even, even possibly assassinating people just to keep this subject matter as secret as it has been for the last 75 years. So (laughs) I say definitely assassinating people. Absolutely. I, I, well, not to, not to dive too deep into the weeds on this, but I think there's even been political leaders that have pushed too hard on this issue that have been uh, taken out because they were becoming problematic to the national security state and they uh, could possibly create 
damage. Yeah, like to let, our, let our, the our information defenses. out. Yeah, so I was really diving deep into this entire subject for a long time, as deep as I do now, and I realized that there that there is no chance, in my opinion, that the government is going to transparently and truthfully release this information. So it has to come from the civilian sector. That's what contact tour is. So when did you end your service? I'm guessing around 2017. Is that right? No, I got out in 20, the end of 2016 because I got medically, I got medically discharged. Oh, wow. I, uh, I lost, uh, I lost a bit of my hearing in my left ear. I have tinnitus. I got a hip injury and injury to both my knees. Oh my God. I'm so sorry. It's okay. It, It was just from training. Just my, my MOS was, I, I was a 13 Fox. So I was a, a fire support specialist and they had me running up and down mountains all day, carrying a lot of equipment. And I'd be out there for, you know, a few days at a time. And I'm not really like a big guy. I'm not really like heavy set. Built, so built carrying for all that, that type equipment, of thing. I don't have, I don't have that kind of frame. So uh, eventually right. my frame started to break and, uh, and to the point where I couldn't perform my job anymore. I, like even going on my runs in the morning, I, I was having a hard time. So they, uh, they decided to, to give me the option to, uh, you know, be, be relieved of my service and take a medical discharge, which I did. Cause then it gave me the opportunity to pursue other, other passions. Yeah, yeah that is amazing. So then when did you decide in your life that, okay, you're interested in this. You had these incredible experiences. You have a little bit of military experience even peppered in there. So then when did you decide, okay, I want to start a group, some sort of organization that addresses these issues, that secrecy that you were talking about? Well, after I got out of the military, I really pursued music with everything that I, that I had. Cool. And that ended up becoming a, a fairly successful career to the point where I was able to tour through 10 different countries wow. and get a few, get a few million streams through my, uh, through my music releases and all the while still touring and still DJing and working on music and connecting with these other uh, producers and artists from across the world. I still just as heavily was researching extraterrestrials and UFOs and something dawned on me one day that I could probably use my network from music to start getting this information out to people through music. Maybe there's a, maybe there's a bridge and there's a gap that I can close that I can start, you know, getting this information out there through music. So in 2019, I came up with the concept of contact tour, which was going to be an EDM concert series that the aesthetic and the theme of this concert was going to be disclosure because I figured at at this point in time, I don't necessarily see the, um, I got to let, let me put my words together correctly here. Not that the older generation isn't still playing a role, but they're not, they're not going to be the ones that are going to be leading us into the future. It's the younger, it's, it's the younger demographics in that generation. And what's the best way to reach the younger demographic, it, in my opinion, it's music. Correct. I think, I think, I think pretty much from like 18 to mid twenties, people want to attend shows. People Correct. want to go to concerts. They want to be around other people. They want to socialize. So we need to create that opportunity for them to go out and, and participate in those kinds of activities. But I think the message and the theme should somehow get across this information. So contact tour was born and we had two sold out shows in Japan in Tokyo and Osaka. Wow. And 
the in-between graphics of each performer would be actual documents of, of X, Y, and Z from the CIA or the Department of Defense. And then the in-between visuals of each act would be actual UFO sightings and actual pieces of video. And then the intros and the outros were voiceover dubs of like, you know, a ufologist that that's, you know, sharing some kind of piece of information. And that, that was the whole theme of it. But I realized that uh, that theme went completely over people's heads. They, they just took it as entertainment. There was no actual uh, sustained interest. They didn't see it as a transmission of information. They kind of saw it as really cool graphics and backdrops. Exactly. It was like a theme. You're like, oh, wow, there's yeah. alien stuff on the side. Cool. That's it. So, and, and, that, and, you know, and I expected that to probably go that way, but I figured it was worth a shot. Definitely. So we, we pulled back a little bit and for obvious reasons, cause COVID-19 happened, we pretty much had our first two shows and then three months later COVID hit. And, uh, and we had, I was mapping out at least 10 more dates to do wow. contact tour. So I think that if we ended up having those 10 dates, we could have really built on the message more. Uh, I think that would have created more opportunities for people to begin processing the mission of what we were actually trying to do that were more than just a concert series. We want this information to be, you know, at the forefront of what, of what we do. So since we couldn't have shows anymore because of COVID-19, I decided, well, we're not going to slow down. Let's just shift gears. Let's just become a more scientific uh, public interest initiative that's going to go out and actually organize expeditions where we can make contact with extraterrestrials. I think that's even more beneficial than having these concerts. So then that's when we began forming a team and we didn't have to go out of the way to find all of the members of the team. They are, they were already in our circle. We just somehow manifested and called in all of the, the people we needed to go out and do these kinds of missions. We found an astrophotographer, we found a scientist, we found uh, just good people that were out there with the right intentions and they had the right mindset to mindset about it. And we just been going out and doing that for the last two years. And our experiences have just been increasingly profound. Really? Every time we go out, every time we go out, they just get more and more uh, interesting and more uh, intimate, I should say. So I imagine you go to hotspots like UFO hotspots or places where there's a history of this kind of situation and, and you bring this incredible equipment. So tell mm -hmm. me about some of the experiences you had that were profound as they're getting profound. Well, what's happening? Well, we haven't necessarily gone to, uh, I wouldn't say like quote unquote hotspots is okay. where we're trying to go. We want to go somewhere that's remote, uh, secluded, it's isolated, there's no urban infrastructure. There's no military bases. There's minimal air traffic. Those are the kinds of uh, things we keep in mind on the mental checklist of when we decide where we're going to go out and make contact. We want little light pollution. We want uh, we want to make sure we're not around any airports or, or anything that's going to have us uh, call in ETs to a location where there's a potential collision. Although I'm sure they could avoid hitting an aircraft, but it's just one of those uh, variables to keep in mind. We want to invite the ETs to a location that's not only safe for us, but also safe for them because they're, they're, mm. they're actively being targeted by satellite based weapon systems when they materialize in our outer and inner atmosphere. So I'm trying to be really mindful about where we invite them to manifest and to contact us because 
it's not just, it's not just a matter for them to, uh, well, I mean, actually I, I want to word my, I want to, I want to be right with my words here. Cause I mean, they're, they're highly advanced and there's an infinite amount of them and they're, and they're, technology is superior. So not necessary. Is it necessary to, to go through all these extra measures? Maybe not, but I just think for my own, for my own, no, you're just trying to create a comfortable experience for them, you know? Yeah, Farmer exactly. Guy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Not to go too deep into the thought train on that, but yeah, I just want to make sure that the, that the setting, the scenario and the safety is all taken into account for everybody. Sure. And you, you know, you said you have an astral photographer and you also have other equipment. I've noticed you have those high powered lasers. Do those actually work? Do they actually have a distance? Yeah, they go the five milliwatt laser pointers. They go 0.7 miles up into the atmosphere. Okay. So they go three quarters, three quarters of a mile up okay. and we use them primarily to point out these objects as they appear, because some people in our group may not be able to lock eyes with them when they first appear. Sure. So we use them quickly just to point out, Hey, that, that one is behaving in a way that's anomalous and we should just keep our focus on this one. And when we start seeing these sporadic flashes in the sky that we call flash bulbs. And actually I just saw one this morning from my balcony, which was interesting. They're just these random staggered flashes that are really bright throughout the sky. And it's our assessment that that phenomenon is the ETs having a very introductory, like a, like a very uh, introductory level. Hello. It's like a greeting in some way. So we use the laser pointers to mimic the flashing ah. that they, that they show us in the sky. So they'll go flash, flash, flash. Then we take the laser pointer and go flash, flash, flash. And we just, we mimic their, their responses. And you feel like that has given you some results. Absolutely. Now it's, it's going to be uh, a hurdle to figure out exactly what these flashes are indicating. What, like how, how do you decode flashes? Right. How do you, Could how be do you begin to, how do you, how do you interpret that into some kind of uh, verbal or, uh, you know, spoken language? How do you, how do you figure out what they're trying to say through flashing? You know, it's it, that that's something we're trying to figure out. But yeah, in our experience going out there, they respond to the light. They respond to the laser pointers and they mimic our flashing and they mimic our movements. Or when they appear, we mimic we mimic their movements. And there seems to be a bilateral exchange of, of light communication. Right. Like some form of acknowledgement, something that yeah. it's like, I'm here. I know you're here. You know, I'm here. Yeah. That's about as far as you can really take it. And, and, and that's pretty much it. I think that the lights are pretty much just like a wave or a handshake. Right. You know, so, so that is a very surface level introduction to, to making contact with them. That's what I feel like the lights are. But have you had more direct experiences that were a little more uh, engaging? Yeah. Yeah. On, on a, on a personal level, I've only had, I've had two experiences that really uh, had me, <laughs> had me shook more or less. I don't say shook in a bad way as though it was a scary experience sure. or like I was afraid or anything, but shook as though, you know, these experiences don't happen very often when they do. It, it's just, it, it just, uh, it kind of forces you to take a step back and to become a bit more introspective about everything that you're doing. Uh, I'm pretty sure I had contact in my old apartment with, with non-materialized energetic beings 
that that were present in in the room and in the space. And then out in the field, we've had similar experiences where members of our team said they felt other presence presences of, around us during our group meditation that they felt energy moving and shifting in and in and out of our circle, that they felt sensations of of uh, although someone would be touching your shoulder or someone would be touching your arm or someone's touching your hand, but there's no, there's nothing actually physically there. Right. We've had a lot of experiences like that. And more often than not, when we have those experiences of people having those kinds of uh, physical sensations, it's directly correlating with the, with the activity we're seeing in the sky. Whoa. So I, I feel as though they're connected and they're not just random instances. There's, there seems to be a, a relationship between people on our team experiencing these physical sensations and seeing this uh, anomalous activity flying overhead. So somehow there's these energy beings coming from these crafts that are coming to where you are in space, but because we're in the third dimension and they're probably vibrating higher, they can't actually grab you and and you can't visibly see them, but the presence is there because we're in the same greater sphere of dimensions, but not necessarily on the same (laughs) layer. Yeah, it, it the best way I could describe the sensation from what I felt is if you've ever taken a balloon, like a like an inflated balloon, and you rubbed it up and down your arm, and how you could feel the static electricity <laughs> move your hair. That's that's the best way to describe it. Because I've had two I've had two experiences where I felt that sensation, and there felt like there was someone or something in my field. Well, the that, thing is, some people would describe that as angels as well. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but some people uh, would describe that as angels or or even ghosts. Well, it's that's that's a really complex conversation to to dive into because then we're going into cosmology, right? And we're going into the the universal conscious development of the cosmos because there's a physical, there's an astral, there's a celestial and beyond the physical, the the astral and the celestial, there are non-physical dimensions in which there could be angelic celestial beings and there could be extraterrestrials occupying the same space. So how do we nurture and grow our discernment as to whether or not, you know, this being that just manifested is an angelic celestial being, this being that just manifested is a, is an extraterrestrial as from another physical planet or this entity that manifested is from earth at a higher dimension. This is the new paradigm of science that we have to begin to explore because all of, all of these manifestations of uh, multidimensional phenomenon is going to have to be integrated into our current mainstream scientific academia and those institutions, because that's how we're going to take the next step as a civilization. We have to begin understanding that we're not just these physical linear materialistic bodies, but we're actually energetic beings that are being projected and manifested from a higher level of existence in these other dimensions. And that's where the ETs are coming from. That's where they're occupying in my opinion i think that they're coming from just a higher vibratory state of the same universe right so, exactly yeah and not to go too far off track no there, no but you're i think doing that's, great. that's the that's the reason why if you engage with them and they're not physically there you can feel a presence but the, but there isn't actually something tangible you can reach out and touch 
So necessarily. Some, some people feel like they have the tools to distinguish between those different energy signatures, like you said, that comes into your field. You know, they're channelers and, and you know, in mm. that realm, not necessarily where you're at. But it's good to know that you're focused on these extraterrestrials, but you understand that they're maybe they're material, but they're also extra dimensional and they're also incorporeal. They're not in physical bodies. I also, and again, everything I'm saying here is just my opinion. So, you know, take it, take it for what it is, but I feel as though it's a pre it's a prerequisite to be interdimensional before you can leave, truly travel the cosmos because it's actually referred to in a lot of uh, intelligence documents coming out of the, the CIA or the DOD or the FBI or the NSA. It's there's a common acronym that you'll see associated with discussions about extraterrestrials. It's called TDIS. It's transdimensional interstellar. When they're discuss- when they're discussing how are they getting here, how are they able to how are they able to travel 180,000 light years in a few moments? How are they able to to reach those kinds of speeds? They must be traveling faster than the speed of light. Well, I mean, if you make something massless, if you're able to charge something with enough electromagnetic voltage that it just raises its vibratory state to beyond third density, it just passed the crossing point of light. It's, it's, It's not physical anymore. So then I think to actually go faster than the speed of light, you can't be physical. It can't be a physical object. Wow. So they have, they have some kind of technology that makes them not physical where they, they're able to jump out of linear space time and then be anywhere instantaneously. And this is just, this is just a theoretical hypothesis. Oh, no, it's amazing. How, it's, that's how I think they're able to, to maneuver the way they maneuver. They have some kind of power generating system that enables their craft to become massless. Once something becomes massless, it's no longer physical. Right. And then when something, when something's not physical, it doesn't have to adhere and operate to third dimensional physics. It doesn't have to operate to the theory of relativity. It doesn't have to operate uh, within the confines of Newtonianism or, or all this linear physics that we are using to send our rockets up into space. No, they're going into an entirely different pinnacle of existence that has an entirely new paradigm of, of multidimensional physics. And it's a lot to wrap your head around and by no means am I a scientist. I, well, I don't that's have what we do here. Of, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's why we have this podcast to wrap our head around those things, because I've also said myself that in order to get that level of technology that you also have to have that level of spirituality, because when you are turning mm-hmm. something into light, you're then interacting with pure consciousness, which some people would say is God. So if you're literally using God as your technology, then you should be a spiritually advanced being. Would you say that's correct? Mm-hmm. Well, the collective level of consciousness that a civilization is at is going to be directly manifested at their overall quality of life for all for all on that planet. Right. So we're seeing our current state of consciousness is what we're seeing manifest in the world. The situation in Afghanistan global famine, poverty, scarcity, war, division, opposition, uh, authoritarian governments, all of this, all of these are lower manifestations of our current level of consciousness as a collective species. Now, the reason why we're seeing all these problems as a species is because our technological advancement is out of balance and out of harmony with our conscious development, our spiritual development. They have to stay in 
and perfect balance with one another. Because when, when we become too technologically advanced and we don't have the spiritual uh, enlightenment, so to speak, or the compassion to know how to use that technology, we're going to use that advanced technology uh, and operate from the same place of consciousness we're at now, which is currently, I need to overpower you so you don't overpower me. I need to have control over you so you don't have control over me. Right. I need to impose my will on you before you impose your will onto me. And that cycle is just never ending at our current level of consciousness. And and that's that's also one of the reasons why I feel the extraterrestrial are concerned about humanity, because we have these extremely powerful thermonuclear weapon systems that are a terribly and an insane and moronic idea to have. And we're going to be bringing them into space and we're going to try to defend ourselves against God knows what we think is out there. And that is going to make a lot of problems for us moving to the future if we don't withdraw uh, our militaristic oppositional worldview out of our exploration of space. So the ETs are viewing us as, okay, they are smart enough that they have nukes, but they're not at a state of consciousness where they realize that as you do unto others will be done unto yourself. And they right. don't see themselves as a unified whole and they don't see themselves as being a part of nature. They see themselves separate from nature. So we have a formula right now as a civilization that if this equates out in the next decade as to what it's looking like, it may become, we're going to have an extinction level event. And the ETs, I don't think they want that to happen because I believe that the earth is this very unique and special oasis of a garden planet out in the infinite universe that is rich with biodiversity and all of these different ecosystems of life that the, the ETs may be using to their benefit, or they may actually already be living here and they may be coexisting with us on this planet. And they don't want us to destroy it just at the means of uh, control and for economic growth. So I, and I keep going off the rails with these. No, no, it's good. Here, but, uh, <laughs> well, I mean, it seems like we do have a bright destiny. Like you said, we are going to be emissaries of love and light out in the universe. We just have to get there. I often say that the extraterrestrials don't want billboards in space, even though Elon Musk just said he wanted to put billboards in space. I'm not very happy about him, but we don't, they don't want billboards crazy. in space. They don't want us to have that level of conflict. So I think that they are nurturing our development. So they are mm -hmm. kind of guiding us. I don't think that we're going to get to a point where we destroy the planet. I, I, I really do think that we are going to raise our consciousness. But I, I do want to get back just really quick to uh, your expeditions when you're making contact and trying to find these beings. You said you use meditation as a technique. But as I was reading your information, I often mm -hmm. was wondering... What if you used uh, like psychedelic substances as a catalyst for contact, mm -hmm. things like DMT, something that would open you up into those multi-dimensional experiences instantly while you're trying to make contact? Have you ever thought about combining mm -hmm. those things? I mean, in my own personal experience, I, I participate in, in psychedelics very, I mean, on a rare, rare occasion, and that's just for my own personal use. As uh, as an organization and as a team, I don't I don't advocate for using psychedelics to achieve that state of awareness. We have to be able to do that without anything. Right. That needs to be that needs to be our baseline level of awareness. We can't have any kind of supplementary 
you know, uh, yeah, we, we can't have any supplements to reach that state. We need to be able to get there from a clean and sober uh, state of consciousness. So that's the reason why I, I usually more often than not, will will not advocate for psychedelics during a contact experience, not saying that I don't think they work. And I don't think that they, they do open up that valve for, for our perception, but I just think we need to be able to do that on our own. And I think we already have all the tools we need inside of the, of the greatest machine that we'll ever own and we'll ever operate. And that's the mind and that's the body, right? You know, every, 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 everything's already right here. And, uh, it's just a matter of, of, of practicing and, and perfecting and, and polishing and refining meditation techniques that work for you. And, and by no means, I'm not any kind of meditation instructor. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not a meditation expert. I, I meditate maybe once a day for 10, excuse me, 10, 15 minutes. Uh-huh. But there was a study done, uh, during, during this remote viewing session that was ran by, I believe, Russell Targ and Hal Pudoff. And I believe it was within the Central Intelligence Agency. And they had their most, how do I say this, polished remote viewers like Ingo Swan, Pat Price, and a few other guys, remote view a target. And they also brought in people off the street who have no experience and no idea about any of this stuff, just random uh, general demographic people. They brought them in to see if they can accomplish the same goal as Ingo Swan and Pat Price and these other remote viewers. And it actually turns out the random people off the street had more accuracy than Ingo Swan, Pat Price, (laughs) and the other remote viewers because- Were they overthinking it? Well, probably. I think think there's- uh, there's a few, there's a few things to take into consideration with like the dynamic of how that would work. You have so much attachment to the outcome that you may actually create resistance from it. When these people came in, they had no idea what they were doing. I don't even think they were briefed into what they were doing. They were probably just told to, Hey, uh, close your eyes and imagine something that may be like this and we'll see what happens. And they actually had a higher success rate of remote viewing targets than the people they were training for over 20 years, I think that program went for. Right. So anybody can do this. Anybody can access their ESP capabilities. And ESP stands for extrasensory perception. It's remote viewing, your intuitive insight, telepathic communication, all all of these different uh, cities, so to speak, S-I-D-D-I-H, cities. It's spelled differently. It's not S-I-T-Y. It's like the, the... the um the sanskrit spelling of it s-i-d-d-i-h-s i think i have to look up the spelling to it but these abilities can be mastered and they can be refined as i mentioned earlier through practicing meditation like yogis monks shamans gurus people that are just into their own spiritualism they start developing these capabilities and these abilities are what allow us to directly communicate with the, with the extraterrestrials as they manifest during our expeditions, because they, the ETs have the tech that allows them to communicate through thought. 
Wow, that's amazing. You know, we just did uh, an episode with the director of the Portland Psychic School, and we just had actually yeah. a trilogy of psychic episodes, uh, a couple authors. And, you know, we do have those innate abilities, and you're saying that's what you need to develop if you want to contact these ETs and be able to communicate with them in a direct way. Yeah. And, and, and honestly, you don't even have to, and you see, it's like, there's so many contradictions in what I'm saying, because <laughs> it's like, I have, I have my own personal belief as to how things work and how things should be. And then like, the more I sit back and think about it, the, the more all those things become shattered because I had an experience with my lifelong friend named Adam who has always been a very open and healthy skeptic his entire life. Okay. And I think he was, he was actually the first one I ever told my UFO experience to because him and I have been best friends for so long. I just felt like I could trust sharing something like this with him, but he's also a very level-headed skeptic. So I was like, if there's anyone who I want to share this with, it's going to be Adam because he'll probably be able to share with me what this actually probably was. And maybe I'm just not maybe I'm too close to the situation to think about it. So Adam and I all growing up through the years, we've had these conversations that are like civil debates about UFOs and extraterrestrials and all of these other fields of noetic science. And Adam's like a very linear materialist, materialistic Newtonian kind of person. And when I started practicing the, the CE5 protocols and we started having these experiences, I invited Adam over to my house because I, I was sending him all of the videos of what we were documenting. And to the point that I sent him enough videos, it convinced him to, okay, let me come over and let me give this a shot. I said, okay, we'll see what happens. And no, Adam's never meditated a day in his life. <laughs> he is actually an atheist his entire life. He was like a proactive atheist, meaning that he would <laughs> let people know he was an atheist. Like within the first Within the first conversation you'll have with Adam, he was like, guess what? I'm an atheist, just so you know, kind of thing. <laughs> he, he didn't say it in that way, but he, he was very proud of it. And um, he, he, that was like his identity, you know, like I'm an atheist, I'm this, I'm that. Uh, and we all have those things. Everybody does. It doesn't matter if you're an atheist or what have you. Like we all have our, our belief systems that, that keep our identity intact. So Adam comes over and up to this point, he was still more or less atheist, right? Or agnostic or somewhere in between that. And we, we go up to my balcony. I have my fiance lead us through a meditation. And Adam had like one of the most profound experiences of his life where he had a sensation that he was hovering and he left his body and Whoa. he saw an, he saw an aerial view of, of us on the balcony from maybe nine to 10 feet above our, our head. And Adam comes back out of the meditation and, and he's a bit disoriented and he's falling over and his balance is, is a bit off. And I, I kind of catch him and I ask him if he's okay. And he's like, man, I can't, I, I don't know how to describe this to you, but I just saw us from 10 feet above your, your house. I said, okay, you probably just had a, a remote viewing experience. And then we had two of the radios set up. We have a pair of UV5R Pro ham radios. Uh, one of the radios is on the the right side of the balcony, the other ones on the left side of the balcony, they're about 10 to 12 feet apart from each other. And Adam was saying that he was asking something or someone who may hear his, his telepathic message to chirp through the radio. If you're actually there and you can actually receive what I'm thinking right now, chirp three times. And Adam said, the second he sent out that message, chirp three times the radio. Whoa. 
then he asked it again. He asked it immediately after the radio went off because he wanted to see if it responded again. He's like, okay, do it a second time. He's like, okay, do it a third, do it a third time. And then after it did it the third time, that's when Adam had that remote viewing experience. But immediately after he comes out of the remote viewing experience, he's disoriented and I'm helping him stand up because he's off balance. We look up to the right of us at our apartment. We look up to the right of us at the apartment and there's these four glowing, just orbs of light, just two of them traveling together. The other two traveling above the other ones doing their own maneuvers. And they were clearly not any kind of aircraft. They weren't airplanes, helicopters, drones, flares, we went through the whole checklist sure and these objects were performing in ways that that just seem otherworldly and that was the first time adam has ever come out and he's ever done any kind of ce5 with us and it changed him in such a way that the next week when we went out and actually hosted a ce5 adam came out and he was fully on board with with the entire mission what we were doing after a 30 minute experience at my balcony just through meditating and trying to remote view for the first time and make contact. He did. And he also said that he received some kind of download that whoever those ETs were, they said to him that we know you now and we're going to be here. Whoa. And that's the kind of experience he had. And uh, I don't know if he's seen any since that date. Uh, I should probably catch up with him and talk to him about that. But uh, where I was going with that story is you don't have to, have this 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 uh you know repertoire of of, of meditation training, skills right. yeah. you don't need you don't need training i mean it's already native to the to the instrument of our mind so it, it's it's nothing that you have to spend 10 20 30 years in a cave meditating to perfect you just it's it's already in you well it also implies that they're waiting for people to contact them. Like they're just like right there. And when people have these experiences that they're right, there, ready to communicate. Absolutely. I mean, I, I actively go out to my balcony most mornings and see them. Wow. And you, actively. And you think they're just out there for everyone or do you think it has like a specific attachment to you or your group? Everyone. I think everyone. everybody, I think that, uh, consciousness is a singularity. So the same consciousness that by means it makes me aware and it makes me sentient. It makes you sentient. It makes my fiance sentient. It makes my neighbor sentient. It makes Adam sentient. It makes the ET sentient and aware. That's the same consciousness. Consciousness isn't some kind of biological epiphenomenon that is caused by a mixture of chemicals in our brain that just creates the illusion of us being these aware beings. No, it's, it's an actual force from which the entire universe is created from, and it creates awareness. So when you have the technology that allows you to communicate and, and traverse through the cosmos using that same energy, they could pick up on any thought at any point in, in space and time. It's whatever they decide to tap into based on the frequency of that thought. But that's so much information. I mean, it's crazy to think about how much transmitted information that would be. You're thinking like, you know, in our human minds, just where we're at right now, we're thinking petabytes, terabytes, but it's, it's so vast. It's like, a, it's, it's unfathomable. Yeah. It's like Google Plex bite. <laughs> well, I, I also think that 
that the way we look at computing and storage is still from a very physical place. We're looking at how much data can we fit in this hard drive? How much can we fit in this, in this physical device? Because then it's limited by its physicality. You see, like like what we're trying to do is figure out ways to make this smaller and for it to hold more information, but all the information that's ever been exported, rendered, uploaded, downloaded, created throughout infinite space time is already up there in the quantum. It's already up there in other dimensions. And I'm sure that at these ETs are a hundred thousand years, a million years more advanced than us. They probably have the technology to, <laughs> to go through that cosmic Akashic database the same way I can go into my Dropbox and find something. Uh, yeah, I would have to 100% agree with that. But I'm noticing that you're talking about these beings as energy beings and this advanced technology. But right now there's this crazy push in mainstream media where they're showing these physical crafts. They're showing these uh, Air Force videos. Do you think Mm -hmm. this is manufactured disclosure? Is this one of those things to focus our attention in the wrong place? All of the above. Really? Yeah. I, well, tell me your thoughts on that. What do you think about this huge? I mean, Barack Obama was just talking about this on public television, admitting everything in a way. What are your thoughts about this huge push of this disclosure that's happening, at least in the mainstream media? Anything that comes out through mainstream media, through the Department of Defense or the Pentagon or any governmental institutions or any hierarchical power structures around the world is a political power play. Really? And that's it. That's it. Straight to the point. That is, that's all, that's all there is to it. Now there are specific individuals within that space that I believe have good intentions and they're trying to steer the narrative away from what the military and the DOD wants the narrative to be. For example, there's a man named Lou Elizondo and he's being represented by a dear friend, a dear friend to me, Daniel Sheehan, the constitutional attorney. And there's been a lot of disinformation out there saying that Lou is some kind of uh, agent, special agent that is being contracted by the Pentagon to spread all of these false lies and that this, that, and the other thing. And I don't actually feel that to be the truth. I think, for example, in Lou's case, he's trying to get disclosure to happen the right way rather than right now. And he's doing it in a manner that is going to keep his security clearance intact because he's walking a very fine line. I don't think people realize the potential implications and the repercussions of what could happen to Lou if he steps out of line one step too far, meaning that his entire life could very well be in jeopardy and his family so it takes an incredible and tremendous amount of courage and bravery to, to do what he's doing and going against his higher ups and he's going against his superiors and he's going against the entire Department of Defense uh, because they, they wanted Lou Elizondo to stay with this narrative that, yes, these objects are real. Yes, they're violating our airspace. They're operating around our nuclear missile silos with impunity, and there's no defenses that we have against them, and they pose a threat to the sovereignty of the United States. And Lou is coming forward, going against that, and they're 
there have been saying if they did pose any kind of threat to us, that would have been made abundantly clear at this point because there's, they had they had more than enough time and several opportunities that they could have clearly demonstrated their offensive uh, offensive capabilities to us, and they could have overtly uh, taken over our entire civilization by this point, and they haven't done so already. And since Lou is going against the grain now, and he's going against the narrative that the DOD uh, and the Pentagon wanted him to go go with, now they're going after Lou's security clearance. He just had to file an official complaint against certain individuals within the Defense Department because they're blatantly harassing him and threatening him. So how did he deviate, though? Well, that's what that's why he brought Danny into the picture, because Danny is representing him legally now. And it turns out that they're putting they're going to put Lou in a situation that he's going to be uh, he's, he's going to have immunity towards the Department of Defense and the Pentagon coming after him because I can't go into too much of no, it. No, that's but fine. Lou's going to be, yeah, Lou's going to be okay. And, and he's in the right hands now because he's with Danny Sheehan. But for example, that, that's just, that just goes to show that even people within, within the Defense Department and within the Pentagon, they saw all the, can I curse on this? Yes, go crazy. Is that a, Yes. Okay. So for example, Lou saw, Lou saw all the fuckery that was happening within the defense department and said, they're not handling this properly. They're trying to portray it as it's not, I need to stay out of line and resign and go into the civilian sector so I can address this and do something about it because the military wants there to be a next, they want some kind of threat. They want some kind of threat that's going to further uh, increase the necessity of having a well-funded military industrial complex. Right. Like the first threat that we had was uniform versus uniform conflict. Then the next threat that we had was going and fighting terrorists. And the next threat we had was third world crazies. The next threat threat that we had after that was a biological weapon or COVID or whatever you want to call it. What's the, what's the next threat that they're going to be able to use to, to expand and extrapolate the military? Guaranteed why did, why extraterrestrials. Did we, why did we just launch the space force? Right. I mean, I mean, the the timing for everything is so synchronistic, and it seems so so orchestrated. You almost seem delusional to 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 say that there isn't some kind of agenda here. With within the same twenty four months that the excuse me within the same twenty four months that ATIP the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program was disclosed to the public. That's the same time that the Space Force was founded or it was fully uh, brought into fruition and it was made an official branch of the armed services. And and they clearly, they're saying it without saying it, we're in possession of off-world vehicles not made on this earth. Yeah, so what I did is catch that implying? That. It's implying. I did catch that. Yeah, off-world vehicles not made on this earth in that recent uh, disclosure. Yeah, exactly. So there's a lot of moving pieces to this right now. And this is a very important subject. And it's critical that we have a civilian initiative that's going to address it in a way that's not militaristic. Right. And we need, yeah, like have that those emissaries when they do mm-hmm. decide to fully reveal themselves to us, which when do you think that's going to happen? Do you think that's soon? Like, when do you think that's something that is coming that's going to be unstoppable that you can't deny and it's going to be worldwide. Do you think that's something that's coming soon? My, in, in my opinion, I would say I, I have a hunch probably next three to five years. That's what I think as well. 
I think probably the next three to five years, there's going to just be an overt sighting where they're just going to make it undeniably clear, you know, unequivocally, like we are here, everyone's seeing us. You guys need to make the next move from here. That's what, that's how I think it's going to play out. But I mean, I could think one way and things can turn out a completely different way. So that's just opinion and speculation. Sure. But it's an intelligent opinion and speculation, which is why we're here. Um, well, what do you think about like the Pleiadians and that whole realm of thinking where they're these beings, these star seeds coming to this planet and manifesting as humans living human lives, but they were sent here to help us evolve. And also just the Pleiadian interactions that are happening. Do you believe in that? Because there's so much information out there about that. Hmm. What, what I can say to that is in my opinion, absolutely. So there there's species from all corners of the galaxy and all corners of the universe that have made their way to earth, whether they're doing reconnaissance over us, if they're collecting biological material, whether they're, they're taking uh, samples from the planet to go seed other planets, whether they're, they're leaving specimens here and they're seeding earth. Uh, I think that, I think that's highly possible. And I think that's actively and currently happening. It's probably been happening for millions and millions of years. I almost look at, uh, earth as a, as a cosmic community neighborhood garden, you know, where all different intelligent species from across the cosmos all came here and contributed some kind of, uh, seedling of biology into DNA the DNA strain of our or something. Yeah. And I feel that's been happening now in like the more specific context that you're saying of there's star seeds that are extraterrestrial that decided to incarnate here as humans and play out these missions. I, I feel as though that's like, that's a really specific way of categorizing that phenomenon of people. I do believe in reincarnation. I don't, I don't believe that. Sure. That the, I don't believe that the physical form is like the end all be all. That's it. Everything's lights out after this. I definitely believe energy uh, recycles itself and it continues to evolve and it goes through this uh, astral and celestial evolutionary process, which is actually called uh, UCD, the universal consciousness development. It's, it's the, it's the order in which things manifest and they continue to grow and take on different incarnations. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I can say with certainty that like me as an example, let's say like I'm a Palladian. I was sent here from this star system to take on this earth incarnation. And this is my role here. Right. Cause I don't know. Uh, I can't say that about anybody else. Now there are really compelling testimonies out there of people that have had firsthand experiences interacting with extraterrestrials and the, the ETs have shared information similar to what you're saying with them. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't rule it out. I would not rule it out, but um, I, in my opinion, I'd say probably, but it just hasn't been that, confirmed think, to you yet. I have not had that confirmed to me yet. No, but I definitely feel as though uh, there's validity to it. There's definitely truth to it. We have to explore it more and we have to further our, our understanding of it. And I'm sure that the further we get along uh, and move down this road of, of disclosure and communicating with, with extraterrestrials, these answers will be presented to us in, in a very tangible way. And, uh, 
that that's that's my opinion on it. I'm cool. I'm sure that there's that there's that there's well, you know, millions of species. Yeah, the episode actually that is debuting today as we're recording this uh, on our podcast, Midnight on Earth, is with Elena Denan, and she wrote a book where she talked about 110 different alien species that are interacting with Earth, and she has the history of you know so many species in her book, and she believes that she got this all channeled you know she uh yeah it's coming from this other dimension so i just don't know i think the best thing is to have an open mind about these things because our human mm -hmm. understanding has been conditioned for so long and speaking of our Absolutely. human understanding what what's going to happen to humanity post-disclosure like what does a post-disclosure mm. world look like no aspect of life is going to be unchanged after there is a quote unquote official disclosure, I think disclosures already happened. Right. I feel as though with, with the 2001 press club event that was organized by C SETI that was led by Dr. Stephen Greer. And there was 22 former intelligence, federal aerospace employees and contractors that testified on national television, having inside information and firsthand experience with the suppression and the secrecy of this subject I felt that's that was like step one of disclosure or a version of disclosure. I think that thousands of people across the planet having first uh, hand experiences and contact with non-human entities and different life forms that are from a different planet. I think that's another form of disclosure. I think people actively going out and initiating contact and having experiential uh, understanding of having a response come from the stars with you initiating it. That's another form of disclosure. And I think that 2017 revelations of the existence of ATIP and the fact that they, the Pentagon officially disclosed they're in possession of off-world vehicles not made on this earth. I'm not sure how much more clear it can get than that. Uh, Some people so need to be I, beat over the head though, Tyler, to be completely honest, they yeah. actually need an alien to show up at their doorstep, knock on the door and say, Hey, I'm an alien, you know, really people are yeah. afraid. It's, it seems like it's an anxiety thing, but it, it, at some point, I mean, we're going to be physically coexisting mm. with these beings. And then at that point, would yeah. we be at a galactic consciousness where we're no longer yeah. identifying with saying like, for me, I'm in Oregon right now. Like I'm from Oregon, you know, I'm from California. It, it would be more like I'm from earth mm. because there's other things out there. Is that yeah. the shift that would happen? Well, to to, re to reel it back in a little bit before we dive into that, I, I just want to say that disclosure is a process. Okay. I don't believe I, I think there will be a, there will be a climax to disclosure, meaning that there will be that one singular event that's going to end that process. But I think right now we're in the middle of it. I think I think we're we're in the middle grounds of having a full blown open or official disclosure about the fact we're being visited by extraterrestrials and what we're probably, I would say in my opinion, maybe halfway through that because oh. most people still look to the government for validation about <laughs> how things work. It's hard not, not, not to laugh about that. I'm sorry. It's hard. Not yeah. to <laughs> well, no, it's totally, I mean, that's, that's just the case. And that's the fact of the matter. Most people have to look to, their television or look to their political leaders or their elected officials, their government, mainstream media, they have to look to these external factors 
for their for their version of the truth. And even if people do have a sighting or they do experience something that's otherworldly or quote unquote paranormal or metaphysical, they're not going to be able to integrate that. And they may experience cognitive dissonance because, excuse me, they haven't heard it through their television set yet. Right. They need that strange confirmation. Yeah. It's, it's that exterior yeah. force, the parental guardian. Yeah. Yes. Big brother, big, yeah. big brother <laughs> has to tell you it's the big brother has to tell you it's okay. ETs are here, but until <laughs> big brother says so they don't exist, unfortunately. And that's where, that's where a lot of people are. Uh, although, uh, we actually took to the streets in Vegas a couple months ago and we just interviewed people on the street and we asked the question, A, do you think ETs are real? And B, do you think they're here? And I'd say six out of six out of the 10 people we spoke to think they're real and think that they've been here at some point. The other 30% thinks they're real, but they haven't been here yet. And only 10% of them said, I don't think they're real and I don't think they're here. So most of, most of the public is is ready for this information. So is that a product though of all the societal conditioning that happened after the Roswell crash? Like you think 1947, so many people have talked about how our government, world governments, ramped up the concepts of extraterrestrials and put them in movies and and TV shows and all these ways to soften the concept. And now here we are in 2021. Do you think that? those percentages that you just talked about are a product of that conditioning. Yeah. Well, I, well, I don't think that there's any kind of, I don't think science fiction's real. I think, I think there's science prediction rather than fiction. But so, do you think they'd put those ideas in movies to kind of generally put them in the human consciousness? So they start yeah. to accept them as normal. So then eventually when they're like, Oh, the aliens are here. We're like, wow. Yeah. I've, I've been used to that because generations of moviegoers have seen that in our subconscious. It goes in our subconscious. I definitely feel that in my opinion, there has been uh, counterintelligence psyop uh, projects that infiltrated Hollywood mm. and they have a death grip over this subject and they decide what kind of films and movies are portrayed showcasing this subject. And that's the reason why most of the movies you see that have to do with ETs and extraterrestrials are usually very scary and hostile and uh, very theatrical and over-dramatized and, and all these, all these other things. I think that the intelligence community has been controlling Hollywood and saying, we're going to make movies that will psychologically manipulate people to being afraid of extraterrestrials and uh, in a way, I think that also desensitizes a lot of people as well, because I right. think that people are going to be underwhelmed by an extraterrestrial presence that isn't what they've seen in the movies. So if the peaceful, friendly ET show up, people may not care because it doesn't pose a threat to them, rather than if the ones that show up that are a threat are here, then I'm going to care because they're an actual threat. I think that's just... Uh, a condition or a program that was indoctrinated indoctrinated into people based on how these films portray the subject. Because the only two movies I could think of off, off the top of my head that make the ETs look friendly is Close Encounters of the Third Kind and E.T. What about Starman? Well, I haven't seen Starman. You haven't seen Starman? I have not. With Jeff Bridges? Classic 
uh, E.T. Nope. movie where it's a, the light being. He's a light being. Jeff Bridges is a light being. And the lady's husband dies. And the light being comes to her house and finds a piece of hair and then accesses his DNA and creates a human body of her dead husband on the spot. Highly recommend that movie. That's the one of wow, the, the only wild. other movie I can think of where they portray the, and of course the government's after the, you know, the light. Yeah. Being. yeah, yeah. Definitely got to check out Starman. Yeah. I, I have some homework to do now. <laughs> I guess, I guess the ones that come to mind for me, like the ones I grew up on is like the Mars invaders, Tim Burton. Sure. Independent, both the independence day films, alien, right. Alien, Alien vs. Predator, um, the the Body Snatchers, the Day the Earth Stood Still, uh, Star Wars, like these kinds of movies that portray a, a dialectical, uh, oppositional, you know, us versus them kind of uh, dynamic with extra extraterrestrials. Right, they could be uh, ready to kill us at any time. I was actually a little disappointed in the late Stephen Hawking, when he came out just before he died and said, ah, we should be terrified of extraterrestrials because any advanced culture historically has dominated and decimated the lower culture. So we should just be totally afraid. I was actually a little disappointed in that. Yeah. I mean, he's referring to like colonialism (laughs) from from European settlers back in (laughs) 1492 that was just <laughs> slaughtering people and raping them and giving them smallpox. These aren't extraterrestrials traveling through space. Exactly. They're primitive. They're primitive people that were shitting in buckets and throwing it over the sides of their boat. How advanced <laughs> do you think they are? Like, come on now. Like that's crazy. That's crazy. And I think that's what, that's what, what a big problem is with the subject is we project ourselves onto things we don't understand. Right. And we think that we're, and, and we think that, the aliens are the quote unquote, the aliens are going to treat us the same way we treat cows or the way that we treat the chickens that we eat or things like that is because we're at a state of consciousness where we're not fully uh, accepting the fact that all life is equal, no matter what form it takes. And I think that's something that people need to come to terms with and they have to start integrating and processing that because one of the reasons why I became vegan I mean, I worked, I worked in a morgue and I started seeing there's no difference between the meat that they're serving me at the restaurant or the meat that's raw and in the grocery store wrapped in plastic or the meat that's being put into a coffin. It's all meat. It's all the same thing. Like, yeah, I mean, yeah. When you, when you have that, that perspective of things, it really makes you realize that that cow or chicken or goat or whatever it is that you're about to consume, that thing has a nervous system. It's sentient. It's aware. It feels pain. It has emotions. It's going through trauma. It's being executed. It has, it has emotional suffering and all of these things that a human would feel if they were going through that same process. Yeah. We, we just talked about this actually in the uh, episode with Elena Danan. She talked about the exact same thing, but what about the grays that are supposedly abducting people and abducting animals and kind of having a cattle like experience. Do you think it's some alien races that No, I think I think I think that's all man-made orchestration. That's 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 ludicrous when people actually believe that is absolutely the case. So, let me get this straight. Okay. We have extraterrestrials that have interdimensional technology that can travel <laughs> and traverse through interstellar distances that can take on form that's non-physical 
And you want me to believe they have to do some kind of third dimensional procedure to understand how the inside of something works and they're going to leave a trace of it. They're going to leave a trail of their work. Why, 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 right. by what means would they do that? And what, and, and what's the agenda behind doing that? It doesn't make sense. The level of sophistication and conscious and technological development that, that the ETs have reached does not equate to that kind of behavior. It does not. That's almost, that's almost the equivalent of saying, um, I, I don't, I'm trying to think of a good example to compare it to an, uh, an extremely highly advanced race of, of beings participating in caveman activities. That's like, that's like if the ETs decided, Hey guys, let's go to earth and build a stone wheel. Let's just start leaving these stone wheels everywhere because, you know, why not? We're ETs and we're highly advanced. That's the, that equates the same to me because it doesn't, it doesn't resonate. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense. Why would they need to do that? If if they wanted, let's say like you see the calculations that the eyes are missing, the tongues are missing, all this horrific Hollywood-esque kind of bullshit. Dude, the ETs are going to go into their ship. They're going to molecular at the molecular level. They're going to 3d print a cow tongue. They're going to 3d print a cow eye and they're going to have it. That's it. They don't have to go through the trouble of coming all the way to our planet, abducting a cow, mutilating it and putting it back on the ground. We already have the technology now where you can do there's CAD systems, computer assisted design that can build things at the molecular level and synthesize proteins and create the building blocks of life from the quantum. We have the technology now that humans wouldn't even have to go out. And do. If we don't have to go out and do that for our own interests and our own study and our own research and our own understanding, we have technology that we can figure out those. We can, we can in, in a more efficient way, in a more effective way, in a more concise and accurate way, figure out the same information we'd figure out by pulling out a cow's eye and its tongue. And we're humans. And these civilizations are, like I said earlier, God knows how much more advanced than we are. They don't have to participate in those activities to have that same kind of understanding. So is that the PSYOP? Is that the PSYOP? Are the Greys a PSYOP? Is is it the CIA? Absolutely. Okay. Tell me about that. Well, I don't, I don't think that the Greys themselves are a PSYOP. I think that the Greys as an actual extraterrestrial species exist the defense department or the intelligence community or these unacknowledged, unacknowledged special access access projects, they know the grays exist and they can create programmed life forms, biological entities using artificial intelligence that will act on the behalf of these entities and carry out horrific crimes against people. So there's a misassociation and it's the same tactics we use in any other conflict that the military is engaged in, like the the Gulf of Tonkin during the Vietnam War. What did we do to extend the Vietnam conflict? We disguised Navy bomber planes, excuse me, Air Force planes as Vietnamese planes, and we bombed our own people to make it look like the Vietnamese did it so then we can extend the conflict and go attack Vietnam. This is this is the same tactic being used over and over and over and over again. It was even done. It was written about in the book, The Art of War. You stage an attack by your adversaries that you want to invade. So you get political and social and um, you get that and, support. Uh, I guess community. 
you get support to go rally around that enemy and go take them out. They're trying to do the same thing with the ETs right now. Is that project Bluebeam? Because I keep hearing a rumor that they're going to initiate, like you're saying, some sort of false extraterrestrial invasion in order to ramp up the defense like you're talking about. They had the technology to do it. I mean, there was an interview with Jacques Vallée back in the 1980s where he was saying he came across a document, an original authenticated memorandum from the Central Intelligence Agency that, oh, excuse me, it, it was not the Central Intelligence Agency. It was the Department of Defense. And this document came out of the White House and it was during the Cold War when the tensions were very high with Cuba. They had an agenda and they had an operation that they were going to carry out. If the Cold War carried on the way it was carrying on, they were going to surface a submarine off the coast of Cuba. They did uh, an analysis of the religious demographic of Cuba and seeing what the dominant religion religion was there. And most of the people are Catholic and they were going to project the second coming of Christ using a third dimensional hologram over Cuba. And strategically what that would have done is it would have saturated, it it would have saturated Cuba's communication systems because everyone would have been freaking out about the second coming of Christ. They'd be easier to invade and easier to take over because they'd have no comms. And that was well within our technology to implement an operation like that back in the eighties or in 2021 now. Oh my God. So this is, this has all been part of a, of a 75 year plan in the making about how we need to, about how they want the collective perception by extraterrestrials to be. And even I'll take it another mile further and say Jacques Vallée also has a document that down in Latin America in Mexico, South America, and in America, in all these different places, the Central Intelligence Agency was staging extraterrestrial abductions on people. Oh, I have heard about that. Yes. And that's a fact. That's not a matter of if or maybe or it's plausible or let's look into it more. No, that's a fact. They've done that and, they, and they're probably still doing it. Then you have the testimony of the former officer of the Office of Special Investigations at the Air Force, Richard Doty. Richard Doty came forth and confirmed the exact same document that Jacques Vallée has in his possession, not the exact document verbatim, but he confirmed these, those operations were being carried out. And he was confirming they're being carried out by the Office of Special Investigations, which is a distinctly separate office from the CIA. So how many of these agencies were carrying out those counterintelligence operations of staging extraterrestrial abductions? It makes you wonder, like, how many people are playing on the same team or playing against each other? Or we can stage ET abductions better than you can stage ET abductions. And it's some weird internal competition. That all the gray abductions were all man made. It's it's plausible. I mean, it's I've I've heard testimony from other people that there are actual beings that match the caricature of a of a traditional gray. Uh, so the so I, I I wouldn't say that every single interaction with a gray being was some kind of man made psyop, but but I think that the bulk of them, I think the ones that cattle are being mutilated or people are being left on the side of the road and people are having these implants put in them. I, all of that is absolute bullshit. I think all of it's man-made. Wow. Cause that's a huge chunk of sightings and, uh, and abduction experiences, just UFO cases, you could say, include all that stuff. Yeah. And, and I think it, it serves its role very well. I think the intention they set out to do with it was was mission accomplished. They yeah. wanted to scare the shit out of people. 
and they, they did, did it very yeah. well. So you feel like now that establishing this civilian contact point, the CE5 initiative, this is the answer to the secrecy. This will stop what they're trying to suppress. Absolutely. I mean, we're, we're bypassing the national security state. We're bypassing our governmental institutions. We're bypassing the United Nations. We're bypassing the intelligence community. We're taking matters into our own hands as being uh, citizens of the world. Like this is the next step that needs to happen to leave the old hierarchical power structures and governments in the past behind us. And this is the direction that everything's moving in anyway like people taking responsibility for themselves and not just on an individual level, but on a collective level, we're seeing that in all aspects of society. We're seeing that with more entrepreneurs uh, stepping up to the plate every day and becoming millionaires. We're seeing that with decentralized finance, with cryptocurrency and people not banking with centralized banking cartels who own the oil companies anymore. They have their own keys. They have their own wallet seeds. They're doing their own private trading. And now we're seeing that with the extraterrestrial presence where we're not going to keep knocking our government's doors for answers. We're going to go out and get these answers for ourselves. And we're going to get a true answer because we're having a direct experience. We don't have to wait for an intelligence report to come out that's watered down and full of (laughs) pre-digested nonsense yeah has like completely things like things like completely black lines except for like three words the ship tree right (laughs) that's it so so the way we're moving as a society right now is the trust and the and the and the um, allegiance and the reliance on the government is at an absolute all-time low globally no one trusts the government anymore. Nobody is adhering to the protocols, policies, and procedures and the law that they're implementing on our society because we know that every single move that comes out of our government is for self-interest. That's it. It's not serving the people. It's not serving us. It's serving themselves. So they right. stay in a vantage point of power over the 95%. That's all it comes down to. They're helping out corporations. They're, they have corporations in their back pockets. They're lobbying with oil companies. They're lobbying with the banks. They're lobbying with each other. It doesn't matter if you're a Republican or you're a Democrat or, if you're, or you're a middle marginalist or you're a moderate or an independent. It doesn't matter because all of these different political ideological parties are being controlled by the same umbrella. Correct. They're, 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 they're trying to just create these different uh, associations of politics to keep us all divided and marginalized and categorized from one another. That's what it all comes down to. But as soon as you go out and you make contact and you have a direct experience, you realize that all these other artificial and superficial and mundane and uh, synthetic constructs of who you are and what you do and what your role is in society is completely obsolete and completely outdated because now you have a cosmic awareness like what you mentioned earlier in the interview, like I'm from Oregon, I'm from California, transforms into I'm from Earth. Right. Galactic consciousness. And that's how all, galactic, call it galactic consciousness. I like, to, I like to call it cosmic consciousness. Sure. There's or, a bunch of different names for whatever, it. Now. Whatever, whatever you want to call it. It's, it's just, it's just a, a higher perspective of understanding our place in the cosmos. Yes. And we're, we're actually, we're actually in the middle of forming an institution right now called the new paradigm Institute, which is going to address just that the philosophical, the theological, the political, the cultural, the societal, and the psychological implications of a post-contact world with extraterrestrials that are distinctly non-human. 
Wow. That's that, really that's interesting. What that's, that's what we're going to be focusing on at the institution. Well, we are moving into a new paradigm. There's no doubt about it. It's coming at us from all sides, whether you're someone that's into the Pleiadians or you're a religious person. It seems like everybody's speaking the same refrain that we're moving towards a new earth, an earth outside of conflict, living in a higher frequency, a higher bandwidth where we'll have the technology, but we'll also have the high spirituality. seems like everybody's saying we're going there. We just have to go through the process to get there. And we're in the middle of it right now, like you said. Absolutely. We're, we're, we're going to come out on the other side of this best, best case scenario with an integral, pluralistic, all-inclusive, unified, utopian society that's able to coexist and co-create and collaborate with extraterrestrials of off-world origin. And we're going to have interplanetary trading. We're going to have a decentralized financial system where there's equality and abundance for all, regardless of your ethnicity or your or your uh, geographic location or your uh, political association or what have you. It's going to be an equal world for everybody where all of the assets and all of the resources and all the commodities are equally delegated through every single corner of the globe. And it's not centralized for one small sector of society to control all, to control everything and to control all of our resources. That's what we're seeing change right now. And that's why it's like pulling teeth. Yeah. Well, we are getting there. And uh, one of my guests said that that old paradigm is just, it's dying and it's just trying to bite as many people as it can on its way out, but there's no stopping the new earth that's coming. But Tyler, Man, we could talk for hours and hours and hours. We just crossed the hour and a half mark. I know that you do have to get going soon, but I do want to tell people where to find you. Of course, you can go to contactor.net. That's their main hub. If you want to learn what they're doing, maybe you can be a part of their expeditions. Mm -hmm. Send them an email, talk to them, see what they're about. Mm -hmm. You know, they have a YouTube channel where they show you some of the things that they've recorded it's absolutely astounding like it's one of those things you like you start watching you can't stop you can find them on instagram at <laughs> contact tour all one word and we should tell people about the making contact convergence that's happening uh, actually right now and you can right now <laughs> at makingcontact.com and where they have incredible speakers from the generation i would say that started ufology, that started these investigations, people like Linda Moulton Howe and so many others that really mm. laid the foundation that we're all continuing in our own way. And Tyler, absolutely. thank you so much for being here. Hold on through the outro music. Don't forget to check out Blue Cobra CBD. And everyone, we'll see you next week, Midnight on Earth. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Tyler. I appreciate it. Thank you, Jake. Thank you.